0: The Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show.
1: Hello, hello, everybody! It's Wine Women Radio Hour. I'm Marcia McCumber here today with Misty Rodabush Kane. Hi,
2: Hi, listen- Hi, listeners. Hi, Marcia. Good to see you and Lisa My- Adams Walter. Hello everybody.
1: Hi, Marsha. Hi, Misty. Good to see you. Good to have another week. Good not to have wind right now, which is kind of fantastic. Uh, We are in the uh, very tail end of October right now recording. So when this comes out, it will be uh, closing in on Thanksgiving and uh, getting pretty close to that. And what makes that really perfect is we have a chef with us today who can help us with food and wine pairing for Thanksgiving, which is really great. So let's go ahead and cut right to it. Our guest today is Rachel Eggstrom, Executive Chef at Justin Vineyards and Winery in Paso Robles. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi
3: ladies, hi everyone, thanks for having me today.
1: It's great to have you with us. So uh, Chef Rachel, you have a very interesting career path, Uh, and uh, and I thought, well, we could start there a little bit and work our way towards food so everybody can anticipate the the foodie discussion. So you started with a a bachelor's degree in law with a little emphasis on criminal justice, but then you made your way into hospitality, tourism, uh, obviously um, culinary skills, so, you have a degree from the California Culinary Academy and a master's in hospitality from the University of Gothenburg, which I don't know at all. So, I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about your decision making process because women are always asking, I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know if I can make a left turn into the wine industry or into hospitality.
3: Oh, great question. I think. Um, I always had a passion for the culinary industry and my parents were very cautious about me pursuing that. So having something to fall back on or an alternative career path is what led me to get my bachelor's degree in law, which was at that time, another passion. Um, I ended up obviously pursuing my culinary passion, which led me to where I am today. Um, And what took me to Sweden to get that master's degree was I met and fell in love with my husband. So when I moved to Sweden, it was like how can I make the most of my time and, you know, be efficient and effective and not let any of any time go to waste. So while I did work a little bit, I also got my bachelor's degree in hospitality because I knew that that was an industry that I was in, but I didn't know what the future was going to hold. So I was hoping and believed that that would carry me no matter which direction I went into into the future. So I would say that all of my educational experiences, they definitely have helped me along the way. And I think that's with anything, when you're 18 and you don't know what to do with your life, right? And I always tell all of my chefs, sous chefs, um, line cooks, any job you had that you think was the worst job ever, even those negative or least expected experiences, they always give you some positive insight or how to not do things in the future. There's always a learning experience to be had.
1: Very, very true. And uh, that must have been an interesting challenge, then, uh, with taking all those classes, presumably in Swedish.
3: Luckily, um, the business degrees in Sweden were in English. Yes, otherwise. Oh, it wouldn't <laughs>
1: I just wasn't sure when you said, you know, University of Gothenburg in Sweden. I was just like, okay, unless you grew up with the language. No, would... their
3: master programs on a business level are done in English.
1: Wow. So, so then, what brought you back to the U.S. and then eventually to Paso? My husband finally got his green card.
3: Therefore, we were allowed to move back to the U.S. <laughs> Woohoo! And I was working in Southern California and one of my last jobs at the Balboa Bay Resort was doing a series of wine dinners. In those wine dinners, we were had done a few with Justin wineries. In those dinners, Justin Baldwin came and hosted and represented Justin. And mm-hmm. through those dinners, uh, he got to know my food and I got to have a better understanding of what the winery of Justin had in terms of hospitality, not just in wine tasting. So it is something special. A lot of wineries have a culinary program. A lot of them don't. Um, But I didn't realize that at that time what Justin Vineyards had to offer. So through that, I was
1: able to segue and make my way here. Pretty exciting. And it's it's uh and it's unique at justin vineyards and winery because you have not just the vineyards and the winery but you have a restaurant uh there's the just in the you know accommodations to stay in um i don't know of too many other places that have that full, you know, encompassing set of, of hospitality services available. Right. I was
3: pleasantly surprised as well because I, w- I had come from hotels and restaurants. And so the ability to apply my experience to a winery was really a dream come true.
1: Wow um Rachel, can you tell us um, then what your path was because we have you know plenty of aspiring chefs who listen in too because as you well know food and wine go hand in hand and so you arrive at Justin uh, and you you have a, you know obviously an array of duties to to get used to um, Was this something where you made a bunch of changes to the menu relatively quickly? Or, you know, how how much time did you spend really, you know, working on introducing new dishes to complement the wines at the vineyard?
3: Honestly, it took me a few months to really get the menu to start to change. And it was gradual. For a number of reasons, um, one, I needed to understand the wine fully. Two, when I got here, it's a different it, it's a different part of the state. So, finding and understanding the vendors and how to even order, I didn't even know how to get my food. We're so removed, we're out in the country. So, it took me some time to get all of the logistics and understand the capability and the logistics of our kitchen and our staff, the wine, and gradually I started changing the menus. So, I'm happy to say that at this point, you know, all of our produce comes from the Central Coast. It comes from either a farmer I buy direct from, something we're growing here on property, or the farmer's market. And um, we take a lot of pride in trying to focus on things that are seasonal and local.
2: Rachel on your on your website I was just uh, delighted to see those fantastic reviews that you have. I know you have um, a full restaurant that your team oversees and one of them just um, was just really stood out and it said each course was wonderful and each time the next course was even better. This is one of those rare meals you get only a few in your lifetime, we can't wait to go back. I just think that's so impressive. And then it's followed up. There's another one where it talks about each of the five pieces, five courses were like pieces of art on a plate. So I think that's, you know, that's just so special and so fun that you've brought that, you know, really fine dining, you know, art component to wine, to the wine, wine country in in Paso. So it's exciting. I do think
3: it's part of my job to try and um, stand up to the wines here at Justin. Do <laughs> we have some really beautiful wines? So, I—I I mean, I have to not to compare myself to our winemakers because they're quite amazing, but I need to do some justice. It's a high bar.
2: And and what was hey. that? What was that transition like? Because I know in like a restaurant and hotel environment you're creating menus and dishes to complement the food like you're select the wine is actually just complementing and supporting the food but i imagine as a winery chef that philosophy you know tell us a little bit about that and how that's different
3: i had mentioned the wine dinners that we had done previously in those series so luckily i had some experience of making specific menus geared towards pairing to very specific wines And the other thing I think I'm lucky and blessed with is that Justin has a large portfolio of lines. Um, Granted, most of them are reds, but it does allow me to have some versatility. So I feel like I came with a little bit of experience. And I'm
0: lucky to have a lot of options to work with. Nice. Rachel, um, I wanted to ask you if you could describe to our listeners what Paso Robles wine country is like and actually the Central Coast because the Central Coast is enormous. I believe it's the largest Appalachian in California because it goes from Livermore all the way down to Santa Barbara and it's gigantic. So it's very diverse. Um, I'm interested in a description of that and then also how your proximity to the coast influences your cooking and your menu.
3: Great question. So I grew up in Temecula, which before it was, had wine in it, used to be horses and citrus. And then at some point in my life, I moved to Napa and was living and working in the Bay area. So I feel like growing up as a California girl, I did a lot of time, I spent a lot of time in Southern California Northern California and neglected the central coast. And I feel bad saying that because It's so amazing. And I think that the Central Coast has everything you love about Southern and Northern California and everything that you love about Napa and Sonoma, but it's this little hidden gem here in the Central Coast that people either fly over or drive through. And it's not a pretentious place, but they've got amazing wines and they've got wineries doing a lot of different things a lot of different varieties from romes to bordeauxs and then you have wineries that kind of go a little rogue and they're they're having fun with wine and they're they're just they're following their hearts and their passions so there's a lot of fun things to find here in wine and now distilleries and breweries and when you talk about the coast we're extremely close to the coast so um it gives you the ability to really consider that still local. And we do have fishermen in Morro Bay. We have cheese makers that are in the central coast and there is a lot of farms that we can bring in and there's, it's, it's a part of our neighborhood. It makes it just that much more special. That's amazing, such an amazing area. It really is quite special, and I am finding that a lot of our guests are starting to visit the Central Coast for maybe the first time, and and it's great. It's great that people are starting to recognize it and starting to participate in what there is to be had here.
2: And the the diversity of experiences as well. I think that that's, you know, something to be said about the Central Coast area, you know, with Napa and Sonoma being a little bit more established, um, you know, the wineries do offer food and wine pairings, but it's very rare that you find wineries operating with, you know, full restaurants like you have there at Justin.
3: Right, I think we're quite lucky. With the inn, and we do, of course, events, and we have lunch and we have dinner. So we we do have customers that never leave for a whole weekend. There's enough to keep them entertained.
1: That's fantastic. That's wow. Really cool.
0: Talk about a destination. <laughs> yeah. Is there a spa there too?
3: It's one of our future plans. <laughs> okay. Bravo, then you bravo.
0: have a, have a um, spa menu, right,
1: for those people, which would be really cool. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Chef Rachel, you mentioned, you know, people staying for the whole weekend. Um, what, what are you dealing with right now in terms of COVID? Are you at a certain percentage up here? Uh, people are open, a, a variation of 25 to 50% of capacity. Um, what are you guys dealing with in Paso? Right now, we're still at 25% capacity. With that being said,
3: the, most of our seating has always been outside. So for tasting in our restaurant dining room is very small. Um, so for this summer, it worked out well, if you could say that. Um, when the fires hit, we of course couldn't seat inside and we couldn't seat outside. So we were forced to close. We are trying to plan and gear up for the winter because like I said, the, most of our seating is outdoors. So, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It, every day is a new challenge and we're trying to, trying to look for the future as much as possible but trying to plan and make it easier every day too. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, everybody. Everybody is in a similar boat in terms of uh, dealing with COVID in the limited capacity way that we all have to do that. Um, I'm a little. I'm a little curious now to talk about um, the the wine pairings that you've developed, and I was wondering if you had some stories of. Try, trying certain dishes and then maybe switching which wine you thought that they went with and and what were kind of the the base rules that you started with when you were trying to go all right what do I want to pair you know the isosceles uh, blend with
3: yeah I mean we had that instance this weekend in fact normally I know I have to stay within a parameter in terms of the wines when I'm building a dinner menu but white truffles are in season now and so naturally I was going to bring my put a white truffle course on the menu as an enhancement so that's one of the rare instances where the dish comes first and then we look for the wine afterwards and we thought we might be able to use one of our sister property wines at Landmark and thought a Pinot might go However, when we tasted the Pinot, we knew right away that that was not going to be the direction. Um, We ended up deciding on the VUNA, which just was released about a month or two ago. Mm -hmm. But um, it did, we were hoping to save the VO for the first course and We weren't sure the meal was ready to be released. Luckily, when we tasted it, it had settled, and it was perfect timing all around. But um, yeah, that one caught us a little off guard.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, just so our listeners know where they can go explore the wines for themselves, all you got to do is go to justinwine.com, and you can order all of the wines that are available to the public there. There's a big variety, and of course, Justin focuses on Bordeaux varieties, so you mentioned a lot of reds, so everything from Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab Franc, Merlot, Um, but you have a lot of um, uh, proprietary blend and other focuses there, and I think also, do I remember you have a rosé and maybe a Sauvignon Blanc is also in the portfolio? We do. We have three whites. Well, sometimes four. We
3: do a rosé and the 2019 rosé is looking really beautiful. I lo- that's probably one of my favorite wines right now in terms of the lights. We have a Sauv Blanc as well. And we do a very, very limited production on Chardonnay. So usually that requires you to be a member or on property within the first three months of its release. And then we do also make a Vionnet which I think is great for those people that are looking for a Chardonnay, but can't, I got here in January and we're sold out. And the Vionnet is very nice as well. And the other white wine we make is actually a dessert wine and it's called Sunny's Block.
1: Fun. So that means you get to do some interesting things for dessert.
3: Luckily <laughs> we have a pastry chef and she's much more talented than I. So she's been doing, as of right now, we have an apple dessert on the menu pairing with the Sunny's block. And it's apples, and it has a Yuzu white chocolate cremo. And the Sunny's block is really special because it has that honeysuckle flavor, but it doesn't have a syrupy sweetness to it. It's got a bright acidity, and it
1: balances itself really well. Yeah. That's delicious. It does, and as soon as you said apple, I went, I was going, oh, well, it's fall. Of course, you would have that on the menu for desserts.
2: Apple season. You have a
0: question. No, I was just going to say I have so many apples. I went to the farmer's market last Friday up in St. Helena, and apples were abundant. And I've, They were passing out recipes for apple butter, which I've never made, so I'm planning to do that week, this weekend. Do you have any tips for us, home chef, Rachel? Not not specifically in regard to apple butter, but maybe just in regard to translating the wine country experience to home.
3: Yeah, in fact, last night I made pork chops for dinner, and you know apples go great with pork chops. In fact, I did it last night at home, but at, at lunch we're doing the same. So we use the apples, we cook them down, and we fold them in to make a mustarda, which is a great condiment to make for your pork chop. But if you make an abundance of it, you can preserve it in a can and it goes well with charcuteries. It goes well on your cheese plate. So you can save that for later in the year. But we also will grill them and just fold them into the sauce with the pork chop. Last night I made a sauce at home, just making a panju and I threw some apples in it. Um, It gives my daughter, it makes it a little more child friendly as well.
1: Nice. You know she's getting my appetite all whetted here talking about all these possibilities. Oh my gosh,
0: I know. I sometimes I just think fall food is some of the best of the year. Which brings us to the upcoming holidays, right? <laughs> what are holidays like Justin? Do you have special menus and special events and things that take place?
3: Unfortunately, this year events has taken a turn for the unknown. With that being said, we definitely gear our menus. We have a pumpkin cheesecake on the menu right now. I mentioned the pork chop with the apple. So we are in at dinner, we'll start, I've got pomegranates on the menu. We're, we definitely are very, very seasonal. We don't necessarily do a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner, but we definitely gear our menus as they get closer to thanksgiving or christmas so that if somebody was celebrating a thanksgiving with their family early or late that they would still be having that holiday flavor profile
1: mm, just making me hungrier and hungrier Really do. <laughs> so um chef rachel let's go back to a, a few more just basics um, to help out listeners in terms of what foods to begin to think to pair with wine. So when you think through the, the Justin wine portfolio, um, what are some of the basics that, that get your, your gray cells all churning, thinking, okay, this year, uh, this year the isosceles blend is, is going to go best with X, Y, Z types of dishes. You wanna just talk about some of those basics?
3: Absolutely. Um, For example,
1: when we're starting our menu, you always
3: wanna go light. And so when I think about, we offer two different pairings, the standard and premium. And the sommelier and I, we both really like rosé with salmon. And when you're starting your dinner menu, and I'm thinking about that first course, generally I want it to be a cold course. So right now we're doing a salmon tartar. So we kind of, I'm kind of looking for foods and flavors that can either be changed on temperature or be enhanced or altered on their seasoning components to match the wine. And when you mentioned fall, we're doing butternut squash and a lamb tortellini and it's going with one of the wines that is most often found at the the winery called Savant, which is primary. It's it's a majority Syrah base. It's a Syrah and a Cab blend. Um, so as I change the menu and as the the seasons change, some of the wines change as well. So we have some wines that are perfect for the fall and perfect for the summer, and then. We just focus on those. The isosceles usually always sits in our entree entree um, pairing, and I'm usually always pairing some sort of red meat with that. Um, right now it's fillet, and we're getting a beautiful cut of meat. And it's and I just play with the sides, and of course beets are abundant right now. So the earthiness of the beets and the ice, they kind of go hand in hand and you have that buttery richness of the filet that goes great as well and our premium pairing is the platinum reserve so that richness of the wine and the earthiness of the wine it goes it's just it's blending
1: seamlessly right now yum pretty delicious stuff and if folks are looking for um let we say this the simple stuff which wine should they have um, with their snacks in front of the game the game that will be played without an audience undoubtedly
3: <laughs> well everybody is familiar with our cabernet and i just tasted the 2018 cabernet which is what you would find on our website website right now mm-hmm. and it's drinking really really nice um, i'm really impressed with that One of my favorites is also, I already mentioned the savant. Mm -hmm. Um, The right angle is my go-to. And I of course love the justification because if it is still warm enough to grill wherever you're at, then the justification goes great with red meats or pork dishes, or if you're doing a fall braised dish, it's like, it, it goes wonderful with all those types of things, but it's not too heavy. Mm. i love all the clever names they're really i know great we have a lot of great names and i i have to apologize if i'm using some of the in-house slang for iso and isosceles and everything else
1: (laughs) well to, to help our listeners out um the proprietary blends a lot of them have these mathematical names that are kind of really cool and original um, isosceles justification right angle um, and you even have a, a campaign going right now I know the exceptional from every angle uh, campaign is running right now and uh, this was a, a program put together actually by um, I think one of your vendors but um, it all the wines were photographed uh, by Swedish photographer Fredrik Libra, was he somebody you know knew at all or were aware of from your time in Sweden
3: no I can't take credit for
1: that <laughs> so they're they're very cool photographs to see and the and the labels also reflect um, all the angles and all that in uh, uh, Chef Rachel do you have any familiarity with how all of the the math and geometry names got? chosen to be used with the Justin Wines? I wish I could
3: elaborate on that. Um, I know that it, I believe it was a derivative from the isosceles and the isosceles always contains three specific wines, Cabernet being the most dominant and then it becomes a blend and the percentage changes and the other wines included in that would be Merlot and Cab Franc. Um, and in, in, in there you see a triangle as well. And so I believe it's a
1: derivative from that. Yeah. Well, it's very clever. I, I really appreciate the, you know, the thinking that goes through on some of that it makes it very interesting and, you know, draws you in. Uh, I was a little curious too about the chocolate pairing that you guys offered. Does, does your pastry chef under you actually make the chocolates as well? She does. So
3: she's quite special and quite talented. Her name is Sari Music and she hand paints every single chocolate. Wow. And the ganaches that go into them are all made as well. We don't Of course, we buy our chocolate. We buy cream and we buy any herbs and we do make one of them with Justin wine, but she makes all of her own products. And on the bottom of each chocolate, you'll see the Justin logo. And we have four to five chocolates that we pair specifically with wines. So, if you were to choose the chocolate and wine pairing you would be able to do that and we sell them retail and our hope is to someday get them on the website so that if you live far away you'll be able to have them shipped to you as well
1: right oh my goodness
0: yes sounds like there's extreme attention to detail at every level (laughs) at justin i mentioned being having um quite high Bar
3: to not to, to 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 try and be supportive of the Justin winemakers and do them justice. So we're doing our best in the culinary.
1: Well, uh, it's you know it's obviously working for you, which is a great thing that you have that. Um, let's t- let's talk a little bit more about you know high standards and that because that's something that I think. Um, is prominent in the wine industry and in the culinary industry that people have um, higher standards than they might in other, you know, different types of industries. And what was it, were there any friction points when you first arrived at Justin in either maintaining the level that they had or, or, there were, there were levels of quality that you wanted to change or surpass?
3: I think when any chef takes a role, there's always some change that they want to implement. And I think part of it is having the right team. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky. I feel that right now we have an amazing team, both on the front of the house and the back of the house that believes in the product and they believe in doing the best that they can. And they're also passionate about it. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, then there's no sense in giving anybody standards because (laughs) they're not going to be receptive. Right now, we've got an amazing team that really wants to put their best foot forward and they're excited to be cooking or serving these wines or vice versa. And I think that we're just in a very exciting time at Justin where our staff and our product is at a great level and we're all striving to be better and better each day. So I think right now I'm really blessed to be a part of a great team. Yay. That's a key is that it's a teamwork.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So
3: dishwashers to the cooks to the front of the house we all play an important role to put our best foot forward for the guest and to highlight the wines that you know everyone in the back of the scenes is out there picking harvesting and blending right
0: now yeah so Rachel as a a woman in the culinary industry I mean you told us about your long path educationally and how you got back to what really became your passion in terms of being a chef but How has it been like in the different kitchens that you've worked in, in terms of being a woman in what's been traditionally in many ways, a male-dominated industry? So
3: most of the kitchens I always worked in, I was probably one of the only females, if the only female on the savory side, usually the females were always in the pastry department. So I guess it helped that I was a little bit of a tomboy, but it, it's, it's, definitely not something to be taken lightly you've got to have a thick set of skin and it's not an easy industry to be in male or female and there are most jobs I don't feel as though I was stigmatized for being a woman although there had there has certainly been a job and a manager in specific where that was the case I do remember earlier in my career there were jobs that adamantly just specifically did not hire women so you couldn't even get your resume in the door if you wanted to um and I've had two female dominated kitchens that I worked in one was in San Francisco and it don't think it was necessarily purposeful like that but it just happened to be that way and that was one of my favorite kitchens I worked in um and when I started here and even right now it's Predominantly women in our kitchen, and it's just just it's fate. It, it wasn't planned that way, and it seems to be working really well. And you just need it's all about personalities and work ethic and appreciation for each other. And if it all falls in line, regardless of your sex, then it works out.
1: Is there any particular? I difference that you've noted in terms of the culture of uh, a mostly or all female kitchen versus one that is run by men, you know, uh, or predominantly male? I, I, I wonder, I
3: would say that it's not fair to say that women generally are easier to work with because you see men and women being very passive or on the contrary, very Hell's Kitchen-like. Mm-hmm. And I would say that being a mother myself has probably given me a little more patience and understanding of how to teach and mentor um, as opposed to not having those same experiences. I also think that sometimes women can be a little more encouraging where sometimes it's more competitive when it's all men in the kitchen and competitiveness is great. And I want competitiveness to be there, but you have to balance it. And I think that's what it is. It's a balance. You need to balance constructive criticism with positive reinforcement and sometimes positivity is not something that you find very often in kitchens and I think it's something that we all need to encourage and strive for and I think that luckily the culture of women is changing as well women I think finally instead of being jealous of each other are becoming more encouraging of how can I help that other woman reach her goals as opposed to let me climb on top of her. So these are all things that, you know, I think are changing in the industry, but as well as
1: society as, as a whole. Yeah, you see, and, take-
0: and I nodding vigorously. Well, I think, wait, we've, uh, Marcia and Missy and I have interviewed and and recorded podcasts with a lot of women winemakers. And I think that there's that sensibility in the wine industry too, especially with, you know, women winemakers really lifting each other up and helping each other out and helping the next generation come up. So um, it sounds like that's happening on the culinary side as well.
3: And my mom, I think, was a leader in her own right, in her industry, and seeing her own personal struggles climbing to raise a family, make a name for herself and grow, and then to try to support other women in her industry, I think was sort of, this is what you need to do if you're in a position and you have capability of doing so. I saw it as an expectation if you've fill into that role, you need to be able to also do this.
1: Yeah, interesting. What do you feel is your biggest challenge right now outside of COVID, Um, you know, personally or professionally? What do you feel is like the big one going on right now?
3: I think that for me here at Justin, My biggest challenge is also a blessing and it is how to get more space to continue to do more. We're, you know, when you enter a space, you're obviously confined by the four walls around you and what you do within that space in order to continue to grow. And, you know, we mentioned being outdoor versus indoor. So it's not just COVID, but where our demand is growing, but you can't physically move the four walls around you. So my biggest challenge is how to continue to meet the demand and grow the business with the space that I have.
1: Oh, very interesting. Where do you think you'll be, you know, three or five years from now? Where do you I'm
3: hoping to still- and hopefully we'll have another building somewhere where we're supplying, you know, our culinary expertise and goods elsewhere. But hopefully we'll have another just-in-tasting room somewhere and it'll have a food
1: component to it as well. Wonderful. Sounds sounds pretty exciting to, to look at those options. Um, so so that kind of, I don't know, covers a lot of the ones... I was thinking of in terms of where you mentioned, you know, Justin having another tasting room available that you can offer food in. And when you said the space issue, it made me think about how, um, you know, in previous centuries, it was it was such a surprise to me to learn that, you know, a lot of the time kitchens in, in you know, hotels and uh, great houses were, you know, whole separate buildings. Um, so, you know, it sounds like that's something that you are facing right now is, is the physical limitations of the space that you have and, um, and then maybe how to rejigger them down the road. Um, do, you, do you think others, there are any plans for also expanding the wine portfolio out there? Um, I don't know what your production is um, at Justin, Um, Although you do have a lot of wines that you offer, but I didn't know how much, how many cases.
3: The cases, it is quite a few. I can't speak to the number of cases in total. Um, And I don't know what their future plans are in terms of varietals. I can say that I'm happy to hear that they're bringing back the Obtuse, which is one of our other dessert wines that I didn't mention earlier. And our winemaker Fred makes a great sparkling, so hopefully someday maybe they'll let him be able to put that on the market. Ooh. But we'll see. <laughs> they have some secrets for me that I don't know as well.
1: <laughs> well, the, you know, all of these sound uh, very enticing, which is the name of the game. Um, I want to make sure that our Listeners know where they can get the wines, which is justinwine.com, J-U-S-T-I-N wine.com. Um, if you want to go find the vineyard, um, they are on, uh, let's see, I'm looking uh, for the address. There we go. Uh, 11680 Chimney Rock Road in Paso Robles. Uh, that's where you can find it. And... Um, The other thing I was looking at online, Instagram is at Justin Wine and Facebook is at Justin Winery. Uh, You're you're probably lucky in that you're not responsible for the social media, or do you also have to contribute um, the food porn shots for social (laughs) media?
3: Great question. I've been going back and forth with marketing on the food shots lately, but if you do look at the food pairings on Instagram or on the website, we're reworking the website right now, but there's a lot of virtual pairings that we've done since COVID started. So you can find a variety of wines and recipes to pair.
1: Fun, really, really cool to do that. I think that's really tasty. Uh, If you had to give your younger self uh, some sage advice uh, to your younger self coming up in the career world, what would you say? I mean,
3: I think it's important that people follow their heart and listen to their gut and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I think that if you're following your intuition and your heart, then life is your oyster, the world is your oyster, you'll be fine and you'll be happy. And if you're happy, then it shows through in whatever your career is.
1: Good, good answers. Did you, did you have somebody uh, uh, mentor you earlier or later in your career? Or have you pretty much, you know, learned on the fly beyond your degrees?
3: I have had chefs that have been able to mentor me um, in different capacities and i think also you need somebody that's not a chef sometimes to mentor you as well because it helps you with that balance of life which is important no matter what you're doing
1: yeah absolutely very cool lisa any last things before
0: we go i just want to encourage our listeners to visit pastor it's such a neat location and include Justin on your itinerary. Um, It's very rustic and there are different sides and Rachel you can probably speak to this of you know the uh, 101 goes right through the middle and there's one side that's um, a little bit drier and then the side you're on I believe is closer to the coast the western side and it's there are a lot of very different and diverse Um, vineyards in that area but it's very rugged it's very I think the vines are are stressed and that probably um, contributes to the intensity of the wines. and um, and and pastoral itself has a really neat downtown square it's one of the um, rare towns in California such as Sonoma and Healdsburg that have a really neat plaza right downtown in the middle that a lot happens around so maybe Rachel can describe that a little bit to. Encourage our listeners to come on out and visit Paso Robles, whether they're coming from the north or up from the south. I uh, yeah. There's two things that
3: I'd like to touch on. You mentioned the climate differentiation here, and I had touched on our very cool evenings and our hot days, which helps helps the wine extend its its time on the vine because it increases its sugar, but that the lower water content or the or rather we when you're dry farming you have a balance of acidity that or more acidity to contradict with that sweetness which makes for some great balanced wines that you can drink earlier so a lot of the calves or big reds that you can buy here you don't have to age before you drink them so a lot of them can be ready to drink early on when you talk about the downtown square it's a lot of fun because there is everything from boutique hotels to airbnbs and you can walk from any of them to experience wineries that have tasting rooms downtown including Justin and you can there's a couple fun boutiques there's of course some really cool restaurants popping up and It's a great place to kind of finish your day or spend a whole day, in addition to driving around to the different vineyards. So there's a lot happening here and it is, it's a great destination not to be overlooked. Don't make the same mistake I did.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love
0: it.
1: Very cool information. Well, we've been talking with Chef Rachel Hegstrom. She is the executive chef at Justin Vineyards and Winery in Paso Robles, a fantastic place to visit. And as she told us earlier during the show, uh, some of their club members and their raving fans will stay the whole weekend because there's so many different um, activities that they can do while staying at their five-star luxury inn that's right there on the grounds. So... Um, numerous opportunities, and as I saw on the website, um, many, many different um, tasting experiences that you can enjoy um, to get the whole feel for um, Justin Vineyards and Winery. So thank you, Rachel, for being with us today. We very much appreciate your time because we know you gotta be busy with the kitchen.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I feel really um, humbled and lucky to be a part of this conversation with
1: you. Thanks, yeah, thank you, Rachel, and thanks, Lisa. Really appreciate it. Thank Listy, you. Misty had to leave a little early in case folks are wondering. So, um, but she'll be back next week. All right. Thank you, everybody, and listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Have a fantastic week and have a great pour, whatever
2: you're drinking. <laughs> thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.